What up, everybody? Welcome to the Smoking Tire Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Off the Record, which you know about because you're regular listeners of the Smoking Tire Podcast, and Off the Record is a regular sponsor. They help you get out of terribly unfair, stupid speeding fines. They stink. Nobody likes them. Nobody likes them. You know they're not keeping people safe. They're just raising money for insurance companies and courts and cops, things like that. If you get pulled over, don't plead guilty. Pleading guilty is for suckers. Instead, call off the record. OTR, baby, off the record. will pair you up with a qualified attorney in the jurisdiction in which you got pulled over. And for a very reasonable price, they'll fight that ticket on your behalf, get those points off your record. And if they don't, you don't pay. Money back guarantee. They have an unbelievable success rate, like over 95%. They cover almost every jurisdiction in the country. Not every, but almost. And uh, they can fight everything from very small tickets to very, very big tickets. All you got to do is go to offtherecord.com slash TST or download the Off The Record app and use code TST. 10. That will get you uh, 10% off all legal services booked through Off the Record. On the web, offtherecord.com slash TST, or code TST10 on the Off the Record app. Then if you get a ticket, you just make that account ahead of time so you're ready to go, you're booked up, and then if you get a ticket, snap a photo of it, scan the ticket, send it to Off the Record, they will deal with the rest. Very, very easy. Offtherecord.com slash TST. Code TST10 on the app gets you 10% off those legal services booked through Off the Record. It's golden. Don't plead guilty. Go to Off the Record instead. Folks, today's episode, I'm down at BBI Autosport in Huntington Beach, California. It's as I do. When my Boxster Spider needs an oil change, I go down to BBI. They do the oil change. And then I sit down with my old friend, Tim Barisha, the owner of BBI. Talk about Porsches. Talk about sports cars. Talk about all kind of things. We're talking about uh, the Hoonick Pegasus finally running up Pikes Peak. We're talking about how Tim drove my Spider and then went out and decided that what he needed was the budget version of that. So he put a big 911 motor in a Cayman and it rips for like no money. Pretty cool. Uh, We're talking about lots of uh, 992 stuff, 911 ST, Spider RS. We're talking about what the aftermarket looks like with the 992 generation of cars compared to previous uh, generations and uh, all kinds of good stuff with Batim Barisha of BBI Autosport on this episode of the Smoking Tire Podcast. Here we is in your lobby again. Here we are. Mm. That's good coffee. Thank yeah. you very much, sir. Thank you for co- to Common Room Roasters, Thank my you boys. F- <laughs> Thank you for uh, for having me, changing my oil. Yeah, of course. I we do actually see each other uh, when I'm not getting oil changes. Yeah, it's just yeah. not uh, not at. at uh, this is a good time to kill. Yeah. Uh, what am, what else am I going to do? You look. You got an hour, hour and, and a half to kill. kill. I, Maybe the, more because it's a, it's hard to set the oil level in my car. It's actually easy to change your oil. Yeah. It's hard to set it. So yeah. it, it's like a, you got to hold your ear. You got to look at it funny, and then and then you make sure it warms up in a specific manner all the way up. Shut it off, and then do it again, and then you check. Do it. electronic dipsticks make your life difficult? Oh, they're horrible. They they absolutely. And I, so, why do you think they have gone to the electronic dipstick? Less hardware. 
less hardware. Yeah. So what were you, if you had a if you had a physical dipstick in that car, yeah. there's now you have to have a physical dipstick, and then a lot of these cars are dry sump, right? So then right. it has to come out of the oil tank right. somewhere, and then how are you going to get that thing up back around and then a yeah. convenient spot to? Sure. Okay. So I guess it does because the sensor is probably very small and very it's light, tiny, right? It's tiny. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. A, yeah. Huh. Well, that's. And they just they put in the firmware, put you know, run three wires to it, and call it a day. And I guess it's probably from like a people who actually buy Porsches perspective. It, I think in 2024 or 2023, asking someone who spent 200 grand on their car to check the oil yeah. is probably too much to ask. Like, yeah. It's amazing that it is, but it is. Yeah, I never thought about that like that, but right versus a light that comes on that goes add one quart. That's what you want, I guess. You're like, and you just open the thing and you put the quart. And look, I'm I'm guilty because like we when last time I was down here and we did a show, right? Um, you know, it was a it was a bitch to set the level, and yeah. it took for it took a long time. It took a couple of days, and you have to drive the car, and then you parked it up at your place, right. and then called me like, hey. Uh, at a certain not- <laughs> at a certain point, we gave up. <laughs> yeah, like, like, we gave up, and I went home, and you said, here's some extra oil. Uh-oh, the mic has come off. Was it just the fuzzy? Just the fuzzy. I'll leave the fuzzy. Okay. It's not windy in here. You'll okay. be fine. Cool. Um, so the... Uh, <laughs> fucking fuzzy. Yeah, we, we literally just gave up. I was and, like, and, it, and I did end up adding that quart over time. But but to go, to go back to me being guilty of the problem, 2,000 miles later, I had been driving the car, and the light came on. It said, and it said, you're, you're three quarters of a quart low. Add. So, and so I did, and that maybe would have saved me uh, some problems because I, I did not check the oil. Right. No, you're, I mean, honestly, if I'm spending 200 grand on a car, I don't want to check the oil. <laughs> I, 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 I want something to tell me, hey, do this. I want to just enjoy it and focus on driving sure. it. Like Especially my, if it's my, a new car. Right, like my Mustang or the Cayman or whatever, sure. I actually get a kick out of going to the gas station, filling it up while it's filling up. I'm like, oh, let me just check the oil yeah. and do that. So With my old cars, I do check the oil. Yeah. Because... It's an old car. It's what you do with an old car, you know. And 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 uh, but with this car, it's it's the first car I've had a that's really actually burned any oil. Right. You know, it's supposed to, but yeah. it did burn three quarters of a quart over two thousand miles. Which, if you look in the book, um, and we we looked this up, you you you're kind of every every oil change. It's not unacceptable for yeah. an OEM car to burn a quart to a quart and a half. Mm-hmm. In some instances, I think in the GT2, if you're driving it hard, per they want you to make sure that it could be a half a quart per gas tank when you're per driving gas them, tank? when you're driving them hard. Oh my god! Yeah, so, and that's, that's OEM. Like, that's we, like a and, lot. And we run when we build our engines, we run them. The clearance is quite a bit different, so you're going to get a puff of smoke on startup. Yeah, you're going to get um, a more oil consumption. I get the puff of smoke on startup, yeah. but a lot of GT cars, even stock cars, do that, right. and it's totally normal. Of course. My old man, when he had his Cayenne Turbo, would be bitching to me that the car was was burning oil. Yeah. And I would say, well, how much oil is it burning? And he said, it's like a quart every 2,000. I, that's, I go, that's totally normal. That's normal. It's totally normal for a Cayenne Which Turbo. Which you don't think that, but it is. It's normal. Yeah. yeah. But, for a, but imagine, you know, we're sports car people, so we're used to that kind of thing. Yeah. But a Cayenne person isn't, that's a person who wants a fast, normal car. Yeah. They don't want a sports car that happens to be tall and has four doors, no, you know? No, yeah. So it's like a totally different mindset. But when you have a fast four-door tall car, right. it comes with some of those right. 
those right. nuances. Um, so uh, since I was last year, I let you drive my car. Yeah. You had a quick go. You enjoyed it. I did. And you, you then went out and bought a cheap Cayman and put a big, a big bore motor in it. <laughs> it ruined me. I mean, look, honestly, I, I, I had the GT3, the 992 GT3, sold that eight or nine months ago, which was such an awesome car to drive. It's mm. just a very focused car to drive. So sure. after driving your car, which thank you for letting me drive that thing. Um, yeah, I went out and bought a, an 07S um, that we built a long time ago for one of my clients. And it was just sitting in his garage. And I had a I had a big 911 engine, you know, from a same vintage, like a 08 Carrera S, mm -hmm. which is an X51 38, has a little bit bigger cam, some CNC ported heads, and it had the aluminum big intake. And we were going to put that in like a little lightweight 996 at one point. I was like, no, put it in there. And then we did a short short gearbox, limited slip, and then long tube headers and a GT3 muffler, which is way too freaking loud right now. I got to I got to change that. I heard that. when you rolled up, it's oh, pretty gotta, it's pretty loud. Yeah. I got to change that, but. <laughs> It's like one of my favorite cars to drive right now. Well, it's, it's, that's, that's the modern version of old school hot rodding. Right. Take the engine from the big car, put it in the little car. Right, yeah. It's, it's a pretty straightforward formula. I just need to saws all the roof off now. Spiders. I know, I know. You could, I mean, you could go full Grimes. You could you, commit and go and turn it into a spider right. with like a, like a Bam Margera style. If you get someone <laughs> famous enough to use the sawzall. Yeah. It adds provenance. Hey, there we go. Because remember, wasn't it like, <laughs> yeah. like, I, I, wasn't it Billy Idol that cut the roof yeah. in Bam Margera's yeah. car? Yeah. So slice now, that roof right Yeah. Up. Now it's not the fucked up Gallardo. Now it's the Gallardo that Billy Idol cut the what roof. What if I in. have you cut the roof off? I'm not famous you're not enough. The, you're not so there you, yet? Need Billy, you need actual Billy. I Idol. need actually Billy. Idol. Yeah. I think. I think you. I don't know what he's doing right now, I but I bet you for a G, he <laughs> like, got a whole. Hey, listen, room. I'm gonna buy you lunch. Give me the G. You got some customers that are famous enough that yeah. they would happily take a sawzall to your roof. I got the sawzall and safety glasses. <laughs> yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, I actually, think... what I'm gonna do is keep working on the car and then sell it. Um, I don't know what's next, but is there is is that car early Cayman with a with a 911 motor? Mm -hmm. Is that the kind of thing that that it, it, good consumer advice should people be seeking out that type of build? It is a lot of for in, okay in the Porsche world, it's a lot of bang for the buck. Yeah, uh, you can buy a low mile early Cayman. Um, I was looking it up on Bring a Trailer between twenty eight and thirty five grand. Yeah. right. And if you can find a wreck a wrecker engine for seven grand, but I do suggest you go through it. You know, and that's where the price kind of comes up, but. You know, I put the updated intermediate shaft in it, polished and balanced the crank, bearings, all the good stuff. But I didn't put like big pistons in it. I, I didn't put cams or anything like that, no studs. I just wanted to increase the reliability because mm -hmm. 3.8 makes good power. The thing, what's nice, it reminds me, it's, it's like the, the baby version of your car because you could grab, you could be in any gear, especially with the short gearbox, like you could be in 3,000 RPMs and just half throttle and it, it, yeah. it moves. Yeah. Um, so what is your, is yours making like high threes power? Yeah, uh, to the we, fours? No, to the wheels, it's making 356, I think. Oh, that's a bunch. Yeah. Yeah, that's a bunch yeah. to the wheels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, oh, that's and then, good. Yeah, that was as high as we got it. And then um, on 
on uh but that's on 100 octane on 91 mm -hmm. i think it was like 322 mm -hmm. but there's i mean it was so i just run 91 in mm -hmm. it, um mm -hmm. because stock pistons and all that yeah um how convenient for you that you can run 91. i know i know that's it is like that's what i did you know you can you go don't have you don't have an in-house account with boostane right i don't yeah and i i don't have a six liter in my car either <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but you know to answer your question if i'm i you know what i want to do i want to put a sticky tire on it. I want to go see what I can do at Button Willow in my yeah. daily. And and if I can go, you know, somewhere in the two range, you, you know, probably can. You know, I mean, I mean, you're a fast driver. I, I can see that. And it's but, got some suspension and shit on it, right? Yeah, it's got uh, all of the tubular control arms, monoball KWs that have been revalved, and then the stuff you were doing like ten years ago. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, nose lift. It's yeah. got all of that fun stuff. And yeah. then, um, I mean, but it it's car has nose lift. Yeah. Like on a button nose lift? Well, we did the KW nose lift. So it's oh, in the, you yeah. open the ashtray and you hit it. Oh, yeah, because yeah, yeah. the other thing, when we built the car for the client originally, um, he hated the way the front of the car looks. So we swapped it out to a GT3 nose from oh. the Model 1. So it's kind of a, it's a, it's a hodgepodge Franken car. Right. It's not my, I wouldn't have done that, but what you did get is the bigger GT3 radiators, uh -huh. the condensers and the big center radiator. So my son and I took it out to Palm Springs. It was, it clocked 121 degrees F. Uh -huh. I was going about hundred miles an hour down the freeway and the thing's like 175. Sure. And then him and I took it up through the mountains just a little bit. Yeah. Never, AC worked great. And I was just like, man, do I need anything more than this? No. It's great. In fairness, the stock came and should have been okay at those temperatures too. Those cars are pretty. Yeah, they're pretty stock. I mean, it's not like you were doing a track day. No. Like, just you were driving. Like, right, right. Like even my Ferrari 328, like, I picked it up yesterday from Donnie, yeah. who's out in Lancaster. Right. It was like 105. Right. It was hot, really hot. And this car, you know, I stuck this thing, allegedly, 110 miles an hour. This, I, I cannot believe how great this car is from 90 to 110 miles an hour. It's like For a, a 1986. This sweet car. spot. So it's perfectly, it's where it all just settles and just goes. Yeah. 90 to 110. And this thing is at 185 degrees, oh, so just nice. humming. At 105 humming. outside. 105 outside, 205 oil temp. Well, think about it. Just humming. How efficient that is, because the, the, the thermal delta between what the outside temp is versus what the engine's producing mm -hmm. and versus what the shed rate is, that's an, that's an, that's an efficient, yeah. that's efficient. And that's, that's the, how I think. I was like, when it's 120 degrees out and I'm sitting at 175, how you, you yeah. don't have much the of the engine is not making that much heat compared and it's to what is shedding out right right so right. There, there's you know that when that ferrari engine is dialed in it's it's shockingly good yeah. how engine how how good that engine is for for a a, a 3.2 liter naturally aspirated engine makes about 280 horsepower mm -hmm. Moving a lightweight car, which is that's that's it, a fit, the that's intakes big. aren't that big. You know the yeah. air intakes are like this big, yeah. but it's got the vented deck in the back, yeah. and so it's you know kind of in and out, and it and you can just, you know, it's just so great at this high speed touring. Yeah. It's so nice. That's awesome. That's uh, I, I still I still sweat the temps on my Spider. Even though I know that you know that right. they have that weird, uh, I know that they have a real gauge yeah. that shows the real number. And if I'm on the highway doing 70 in sixth gear, the coolant temp is like 220. Yeah, it goes up. Right, but then I hit the canyon road and it drops to 180 like that. Yeah, it's so like I, I know it's doing the thing it's supposed to do. Yeah, it's supposed and to it, maximize efficiency. <laughs> yeah, get burn off a lot of the vapors in the in yeah. you know in the oil and in the and throughout the system. But yeah. 
Isn't that just makes me? It's so weird because my brain goes, "That's not right," but it actually is. They're, yeah. they're, it's it's right. It's just that those people are smarter than me. <laughs> but it's so it's so kind of counterintuitive to what we've grown up around. Right. And then, uh, and more than that, every one of my customers like, oh, I'll I'll change a tire on the car." Yeah. And they're like, "You fucked my car up." Sorry, Bubba. You you, uh, you, you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You fucked my car up because you know my temperature. Now I get on the throttle, it goes down. But when I'm cruising, it goes up. I got to bring it back. I'm like. Dude, that, we changed the window works. switch. Yeah, <laughs> that means it works. That's how it's bro. supposed to work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just that's such an interesting uh, thing about Porsches that, that they do that. Yeah. And I'm sure there's some other cars out there that do that as well. And it just it's not as immediately obvious uh, through the gauge cluster. Right, right. Yeah. Either either it's a dummy gauge or that that particular temp is buried in a menu somewhere right. that you're not seeing. Yeah, it, it. yeah. And you, they'll just say, hey, this is the normalized temperature. And yeah, if if we go code red, I'm going to tell you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But outside yeah. of that, don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. It's funky. That's like when we go to Pikes um, on race day, mm. we just shut everything off. Like all the warnings. It's mm. like, because what are you going to do? You know, <laughs> pull over? No, I'm going to nuke this thing to the ground yeah, if yeah. something goes wrong. I'm going to go as hard as I can for as long as I can. So yeah, basically, yeah. it's like gear position right. and some other little things. But how that's an interesting strategy. Yeah. The race is so short yeah. that you will not be able to learn and adjust. You no, know, definitely it, not. It's yeah. just like either it blows up or you get to the top. That's, that's what. It. That's when Raf was driving it. He's like, "Big team, what do I? Uh, uh, what am I looking for on the dash?" I go, "Look up. <laughs> don't, I, look don't worry up. about the dash." He goes, "Well, what happens if something happens?" I go, "Keep your foot in it until yeah. it can't go anymore." Right. You know, and or if it's unsafe. Right. Um, because what are you going to do? Yeah. I'm going to save something or <laughs> I want to repair. You can't what, repair it. It's next you, year. Yeah, yeah. What are we saving it for? Yeah. yeah just yeah. nuke it. And we'll figure it out. Yeah. But. So I haven't seen you since uh, since Pikes Peak. Yeah. Um, uh, the younger block got to drive the uh, the Huna Pig. Right. And um, it made it. Yeah. It made it up the top. Yeah. I didn't. I mean, it was, I, I saw the video. It's a it's an emotional thing. Right. Not a real run, a tribute exhibition right. run or whatever. But yeah. it's nice that that car got to do something. something. Yeah. Because the car hasn't done anything. Right. Um. So. He, that we needed that, yeah. As a, as a group, as a team, as the, the as the block family, um, I think it was important. So we showed up to Colorado the week before, and we've already tested the car a lot. We've got the chassis down. Like mm. the chassis, the car is so much fun to drive, um, and I've been fortunate enough to spend a lot of time behind the wheel of that car. Uh, but so we get to Colorado, I do two laps. I'm like. At Pueblo, I'm like, man, this thing is, this is good. This is like... What did you set the power at? I mean, uh, it was a reduced okay, power. Reduced right? power. So yeah. when I went out there the first time, yeah. it was about 800 horse. Uh-huh. And then, you know, the, just, just off Gate Spring. And we start going, come back in. I get out of the car. I'm like, well, I don't really need to drive this anymore. Let's call, let's call Leah and have her come down. Well, we see a little oil smoke. There was a... And then, so I went back out there. We thought we tightened the fitting um, and then went back out and it was even worse. I'm like, oh man. So trying to, we had to take the bonnet off, look down in there. And there was, there's a feed on the top of these um, GT3 blocks. There's a feed line that comes main oil pressure out of the middle of the block and it feeds the nose of the crankshaft. Okay. And so they're center fed, like early F1 shit, uh, center fed uh, oiling. So um, all of the rod bearings are center fed, mains are block fed. And the, um, the factory fitting had the tiniest hairline crack in it that I couldn't see. I had to have one of the young guys, like Bobby. I was like, Bobby, can, is there something wrong with this? We tighten it, it gets worse. Mm. 
we loop back it off, it seals a little bit, there must be some crack or a burr. So he looks at it, he's like, oh yeah, there's a hairline crack in it. Well, this fitting is like swedged onto some billet crazy fitting with O-rings and something, so it's not like... It's not like easy to get at. So I'm down. Cut. Is, that a, is that a take the engine out of the car no, situation? No, it's not. But what it is, is a, is a waste of a day because uh, I'm running around to hydraulic stores trying to figure out how we can take a hydraulic fitting from like a tractor, swedge it down to the small piece and get the aluminum part back in the block. And oh then God. we this actually, is, it's not like a settled science where it's like, oh, you just go to the, you go to a Porsche dealer and get this fitting for a GT3. No, because the, the GT3R block has a completely different fitting than the streetcar. Oh, okay. Um, but now it's and can now, you, and you now, can't call Porsche Motorsport and say overnight can, this you can you can but you don't have enough time I didn't want to waste a full day uh, you know so then we got it done fixed it put it back in then Leah drives it all the next day um, and we did a photo shoot she's having on black here let me tell you about Leah real quick she you know I met her she's she's quiet very respectful nice wonderful person um, first time I spent any real time with her. Uh, so I'm, I'm talking to her. I'm like, hey, after we get the car running right, I'm like, so get in it. You know, just get, just go click through some gears, half throttle or whatever. Go, you know, just go find your way around the track and come back. <laughs> Goes down the straightaway, wide open, all the way through sixth gear. Here, rev limiter in sixth. Back off, get into turn one, and then just ripping through the inside. Inside. Who does that sound like? Yeah. Quiet, respectful, doesn't say much. Gets in the car first time. Flat foot through sixth gear. And so, like, that, I, sounds, I, that I, sounds familiar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I immediately get goosebumps when I hear that car going and her in it. And she does one time by. Well, she's and a then, good driver. She's done well in rally. Awesome. She's done, you know, she's, she's done, she's made a pretty good showing for her first, like, full season in rally. Yeah. 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 And so she, but, you know, I don't know her. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and this car's, and like, this car's we and a also, weird car. Like, it's a kid. Yeah, it's, like, a, it's a kid. It's and, a kid. <laughs> and last time Ken got out of the car, he was like, ah, oh, man, this thing, this is a lot. I don't, this, uh -huh. is, this is a lot. You know, and he was just like, this is going to take me some time to process. Well, didn't you also have it tuned for, like, 500 more horsepower than that? Yeah. It's a but, pretty big difference between 800 and... So, 1300 yeah no there's a huge difference there's a big so, difference 800 so, is a lot but i've driven 800 and it's, it's manageable it's manageable right. you start to get into the deep four digits and you go okay you're i'm going to reevaluate my life decisions mm -hmm. up to this point well and and because that car so we started turning it up well let me back up anyway so she gets out of there she gets in and I opened the door. I'm like, how was it? She goes, oh my God, this thing is amazing. She yeah. goes, it just turns in so hard. And when you think you're not, you're like, oh, I might slide out. You just turn in more. The thing goes. It doesn't matter where you are. You can get on throttle anywhere. And she, I was like, oh, what a relief. Yeah. Folks got to take a quick break from the action for Groove Life. They are a sponsor of today's podcast and they are reinventing everyday carry. Look, it's 2023. Are you still using the same wallet EDC from 2003? Now is time to update that wallet game with Groove Life. The Groove Wallet is a sleek, low-profile wallet engineered for everyday use. With one swipe of the thumb, it perfectly fans out up to six cards for easy access to find everything you need. Let them know you've got six credit cards. Probably not. you probably got a driver's license, maybe a health insurance card, maybe Costco membership. Maybe you've got one credit card. 
and five things that just kind of look like credit cards, that works too. It's not like Dan Aykroyd in Trading Places where he's got 75 credit cards in his wallet. Uh, but with the durable, high-quality aluminum outer shell, the wallet is unlike any wallet I have seen before. It looks totally bomb-proof. It looks like something you'd see in a sci-fi movie, totally for the modern era. And whatever happens to your Groove Life gear, they are here to help. They've got a 94-year no BS warranty. 94 years. Who's going to outlive that warranty? I mean, the average lifespan of a man in America is like 72. You're going to pass it on to your grandkids. They're going to file the warranty on that. I hope it's no BS. You're going to have to pass that wallet and a receipt to your grandkids. They want to claim that warranty. They uh, just launched the new attachment, the Groove Wallet Go. It's a low-profile companion to your wallet uh, or your iPhone 12, 13, or 14. It uses micro-suction technology. It adds three cards plus cash to the back of your phone. It's so slim you can fit it in your front pocket. You'll barely know it's there. I tried that one to put the things on the back of the phone. I like it. You don't always want to carry your wallet. Sometimes it's just... License and 40 bucks, maybe a license and a credit card when you're going out. Leave the rest of your wallet at home. It's clutch. And Groove Life makes more than just wallets. They've got belts, rings, watch bands, AirPod cases, and more. They now provide for over 100 families. They started as just a side project, but it's an American company recognized by Inc. Magazine as one of the fastest companies, growing companies in the USA. Bring your wallet into the 21st century. Head over to GrooveLife.com tire for 20% off all Groove Life products. Uh, that's the best offer you'll find, but you've got to use my link, GrooveLife.com slash tire 20 percent off your order one last time that's groovelife.com slash tire for 20 percent off your order and now back to the show good she's used to like a fiesta rally car. i know i know exactly <laughs> it's a little different yeah and then so so then we we settle in uh we turn the boost up a little bit get it uh-huh. to about a thousand and she's just having the time of her life uh-huh. we do a photo shoot end of day bring the car back and uh, we, we park it, so the Hoonigans did a, a shot and did their, their thing, and then they all leave, and it's the end of the day, so I'm like, all right, fire this thing up. Uh, I'm going to go um, put it in the trailer. Well, right when I fired it up, I heard this thing go, nah, 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 and then the thing is, is on three cylinders. I'm like, you got to be joking me. What, what is that? So it, we, I put it in the trailer, and we're just, we're just sitting here trying to figure out what that was. Um, so we pull over to the gas station of the truck. I put Sander in the back. I'm like, hey, pull the data. Make sure all the cams are spinning. Make sure um, we didn't lose a bank of injectors. The, our DI pump's still going. He's like, oh, you know what? The DI pressure dropped on bank one or bank two. I'm like, oh, okay. We got spare pumps. And then I'm thinking, I'm like, well, what drives, what drives that pump is the intake camshaft. Okay. So... We get it back to the shop and you know we're panicked taking the body work off because i need to if we have big problems i need to call i have about an hour to and call. how many what what day of pike's peak weekend is so this, this is wednesday okay wednesday yeah and we and the run is sunday the run is sunday okay. but we had we have to have the car on on the mountain on friday oh you do yeah because we weren't able to run on thursday because uh-huh. the, the organization just said look you we can let you run on friday as a as, you know from mid up right? right so we're like cool for practice practice uh-huh. but they want they wouldn't let her practice with everybody else because what happens if the car broke or she went off and then she's not competing and then she stopped the time for right, everybody else right, they had right. to close the course so i i completely understand so we um 
we, we broke, which I, apparently is a problem. We broke four of these aluminum bolts that hold the cam actuator to the sprocket. So the actuator's spinning, but the sprocket isn't. So I, told, I called Jared, I go, hey, overnight me valves, overnight me uh, intake and exhaust cam, I had a sprocket, overnight me, all the cam timing tools, uh, new hardware, everything. So This seems like a lot of things. Okay. And so, anyways. <laughs> like, this thing's making a lot of power, but not that much. Well, no. Like, it, what, that, what is not, it that, about that? That wasn't a power thing. That was like, um, a Porsche, what I found out, and thank you, Porsche, uh, the cam sprockets, there was an early version of it. And the early version... The sprocket itself had play between the bolt shank. Mm -hmm. So there's four bolts. And anybody who builds these later mo engines knows exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, Six people on this listening to this. Right, right. Yeah. So, so, so the, the sprocket, over time, because it's just a friction fit with right. the bolts, the tension of the bolts, which are aluminum, which uh -huh. blows my mind, uh, it cocked over. And then the, the edge of the sprocket itself hits the bolt, creates a weak point, right. and, and shears the bolt. Okay. And then luckily, luckily, I was, it was at speed, it was just cranking the engine over uh -huh. because the cam, it's 120 degree flat six. There's a neutral spot where all valves are closed at one point in one point of the cam. And it just so happened to, to break at that point. So we didn't bend any valves. Oh. So replace the cam. Is that just pure luck? Uh, I, yeah. Is that, is, that, is that where the weakest point is or was it just pure luck that it happened? No, what I would assume is because as you're rolling the cam over, it goes dunk, yeah. dunk. And I had one op, one dunk out of the three, uh, so it's, I had a one in three chance that it would stop oh, at that okay. point. Or like when you shut when you shut the car down, it doesn't wait until that point no, to no. turn off. It no, turns off just where whenever. it is. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. Because then you have all four cams loaded, right. and you don't have that like weird oscillation yeah. of of uh, you know spring pressure on the backside of the lobe. But anyways, we got lucky. Replaced the cam thing. Yeah. You know, it got the thing running. Got it running by because the parts showed up. Uh, Friday morning. So sorry, this was Thursday. Parts showed up Friday morning. They were shipped or driven from here. They were shipped. Shipped. Okay. Yeah. I almost put Dimitri on an airplane. I'm yeah. Like, because then you can come tonight. Yeah. Work through the night. But once we found out the valves weren't bent, put it all together. Friday morning, and then I told the guys, I'm like, hey, uh, PPIR, or yeah, is open till nine tonight. So at seven, we got the car loaded, hauled ass down to the track, and then we uh, we you know and what was nice because we wanted to stress this thing out. We turned yeah. it all the way up, and went banking right we i burned 13 they have an oval yeah also right? oval yeah. then infield yeah so yeah. i went out for four laps uh -huh. sander looked at the data he goes you're looking good okay i got out i go leah get in filled it up 26 gallons of methanol i go burn it all she went out lap after lap after lap after lap temperatures normalized everything's fine about as hard as this thing can go and uh -huh. she's six gear boom boom down and what's just, the, what is the top speed of this thing in six gear 142 oh, so it's geared, geared short real short shit. yeah so you have to get out of it uh -huh. on the banking yeah. it's geared real short yeah um and then can you are you ever are you tempted at all to re-gear it for half mile and see what happens yeah i have the whole gear stack really here, right? yeah I want, you think it would do like 220 230 in the half, in the half? yeah if i could oh 100 percent. it's yeah. like 2600 pounds yeah. and it doesn't have a traction problem <laughs> right <laughs> right like, right and so but uh, it's it's but it, the drags you know it's, i'll just it's take set up for downforce take, but yeah you take the front take the canards and the wing take off? the canards and the front the front diffuser you can yeah. trim that out to neutral and take the rear wing off you think it would get shady at that speed no because the underbody arrow i mean it's still you can't draw it enough i mean the underbody makes quite a bit of downforce mm -hmm. and kind of you just told, gave me 
a lesson on the spider. You said the underbody is made for more stability rather than downforce. Yes, for the and, spider RS. It so is, that's yeah. that. The underbody of that would keep the thing in the straight yeah, line. Yeah, that could be. Yeah, yeah the be one. A good time. Yeah, I, I think so. Okay, so anyway, you you're, she's maxed out full tank of uh, methanol on we're, the banking. We're happy. Good to go. We're yeah. happy. So Saturday, reset. Go get the pits ready. Sunday, it's race and. She did an amazing job. Sunday drive, told her, like, look, because she's never driven the car in the bottom section, ever. Yeah. And she's just been in a rental car through there. And then, but we did test on Friday. You can't win today, but you can fucking lose. Yeah, so. and I, I actually, her, uh, Lucy, her mom said, Tim, would you mind just, like, telling her? Because she's not going to listen to mom. Right. So I was like, look, you, and she just laughed at me, but. You got it, it's the fucking, it's the speech from uh, the Rusty Wall, or not the Rusty Wall, it's the Rowdy Burn speech right, from right. Days of Thunder. <laughs> yeah. like, you bend this bitch, I'll end you. <laughs> yeah, I'll end you. <laughs> you bend it, I'll end you. Yeah. yeah, no, but I just said Sunday drive, just cruise, but I said, but have fun. Yeah. Because the car, we turned it back down to about 900 horsepower. Yeah. Um, and that's at altitude. Right. And you could, she, she was short shifting in areas, we looked at the data quite a bit afterwards, and she just did a great job. Does that car run right if you short shift it? Yeah, it it's, does. It's fine. So you it's, can drive it at partial throttle and, and yeah. shift it fifty five hundred, and it's all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's. I mean, you probably seven. You probably have to shift it. Like short shifting is like seven because uh, it goes to like ninety three. Oh yeah. But no, it's it was it's good. It's um, it, we needed that as a group. Right? We needed her to go up because it was like eighteen months of brain damage. Can you met so. Just what I went through personally is nothing compared to what obviously yeah. the family went through, but build a car for a guy. We failed, the engine failed. He passed away. Yeah. We get this car right. Yeah. And then now what do you do? And then now every then the car breaks again yeah. by something completely weird. Yeah. And then so it's like 18 months of just like holding your breath and then she made it to the And top. there was a discussion for a while about someone else racing the car for, for real. Right. Which obviously didn't didn't happen. Good. And, no, I, I'm glad Leah did it. I think that was that's the move. I, that's the person who should have been in that car, and she had the time of her life. She had such a good time. Do you th do you think in the future she might race that car for real? Yeah, I don't see why not. Who she, owns that car? Wheel Pros. Wheel Pros owns okay. that car. Yeah. Right. So it's it's kind of up to them in Mobile One. Yeah. Um, but I I do, I think if if it was my pocketbook and my I would. I'd groom her to do it. I'd say, all right, we got a test schedule. We're going to go once a month. Yeah. You're going to get in this thing. We're going to end in Simon. What does it cost to shut the mountain down for a morning? Because like, people are doing it. Right. It's like a thing you can do. Yeah. Like, Lambo did it for their dumb SUV record. Right. Um, that doesn't mean anything See, to anybody. I, I can appreciate people going out and doing it, but there's something to me about race day and forcing your hand. Of course. And having one chance at yeah, it. Yeah, of course. But like, it's... It, Absolutely. I don't think those records should count. No, it's a cool time to flash, but, but like, like, like a Nürburgring time. Yeah. But, you know, but whatever. But it's Well, it's the funny thing about it compared to a Nürburgring time is it's, A, it's almost impossible to compare. You know, it's not like everybody's going to rent Pikes Peak and do it. Right. B, most people don't really know what it means. You know, like the Nürburgring is now at a place where... So many production cars have been run. It's like the set standard. It's a, we know, like we know that if you go under eight minutes, you're flying. Right. We know. We know if you go under seven, it's practically unfathomably fast. Right. But like we as enthusiasts, we don't know yet. Oh, you went nine forty-two. Well, right. what what does that mean? Yeah. Like what what have we you compared know? that to? No, and like, you're right. And and the 
It's not. It's not like production cars are regularly getting run up, up the mountain. No, and there is no base. Yeah. Base to go off of. And, right. and the other problem with that, I mean, the wind can blow at night, and the next day you're 30 seconds off because yeah. there's sand on the road. Right. And so, you get to cherry pick the day. You get to cherry pick the conditions and all that when you're renting. Yeah. And then you can try it. And you know, oh, that I, I blew those corners. Let me turn back around. Right. Whereas race day is just it's not so much you against your competition, it's you against the time that you run, meaning the time of day, right? and the conditions of the hill. And then if you get lucky, then you get good conditions, then you have to, go, then you have to start your job. Yeah. But outside of that- Even at the Nürburgring, like- It could be raining on half, one half- Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, Nürburgring's 50 grand an hour. To rent. Yeah, 50 grand, <laughs> 50,000 an hour. And so, you know, you might get you know, once you're you're rented it, you know you're set up. You might get two or three laps in that hour. Well, because you have to set up. You, yeah, and if maybe you got to check, check, stop and check your tire. You know, and, and it takes you as long to make those adjustments as it does to do a whole other lap. It's not like you rent it for an hour and okay, the car runs. You know, let's factor in ten minutes a lap. So even then, it's like six laps. So if you if you rent Pike's Peak for five or six hours and it's 25,000 for the, for the morning, which I'm making up, yeah. you probably get five hours. Well, at a, at a 10 to 12 minute run and then maybe 15 minutes back down, you can get, a, you can get quite a lot more runs. Yeah, and most of the time you're not going all the way up. You're, you're gonna go to like Glen Cove and come right. back and say, okay, I got that nailed and then, you're yeah. gonna, and then we'll come. Yeah, you're right. It's there just, is a fixed fee, and, but keep in mind it is, unless you rent it from the, so there's two ways you can rent that mountain. One of which is, as you would typically do from, I think, 2 a.m. till right. 8.30 right. a.m. And yeah. then you'll have from 5.30 to 8.30 to run. Right. Because you have, they, and then, but then you can also do where you're renting the entire day. Right. And I don't know what that costs, but I do know that it's about 45 grand. The whole, for the whole day? No, for that, the early part of the day yeah. with, with medical, with, with oh, timing yeah. staff. Right. Uh, and and corner workers, right? So oh, you need to have corner workers. It's it's a good idea because you lose communication. Sure. If a driver goes off, then he's like, oh, where's my sat phone? Right. She, whoever. Yeah. No, I just don't. I just don't. Um, it maybe one day, a Pikes Peak time will mean something to regular car enthusiasts. I think it's gonna be. But a long it time. doesn't. It doesn't yet. Until OEMs are going there right. on a regular basis right. and you get a library of times and, and then you say, oh, because you know, like Randy Pope's at Willow. We kind of right. know what he does at Willow. We know what he does at, at Laguna right. in certain cars. And I use that as how slow I am as a driver right. <laughs> because I'll take like a GT2. Yeah, you or, need a big bank of data. Yes. Yeah. And the Nürburgring and, and not just the, the Nürburgring itself, but specifically the Nürburgring Wikipedia page right. that lists all those yeah. times is a great reference it That's goes back yeah. it goes back 10 or 15 years or more um, and so many European magazines you know the, the before the manufacturers were doing it themselves it was like sport auto and mm -hmm. auto build and the the German tuner magazines were doing that stuff five six years before the manufacturers were releasing right. their own time yeah. it was only when YouTube made it YouTube and Gran Turismo, Gran Turismo yeah. made it a thing right. where it it became a, a bragging time. Yeah, and it became kind of like the this is what our car. You, you come out with a new car, and it's kind of like, well, what did, what, what what does that thing do at Nurburgring? And yeah. then you're like, oh wow, because you do have that bank of yeah. of, of runs. It's also very easy to cheat at. Is it really? <laughs> well, of course it is. If you've got a turbocharged car, yeah, and yeah. you go in and you say you've run a 
You've run this time. Well, prove you weren't running 15 PSI extra boost. I know. Prove you weren't running a race gas tune. You know what I mean? Prove let, what, let me, let me, there's that, no sanctioning. So not to call shit. out Manti or anything like that, but they, they don't ever touch the engine because they're owned by Porsche. Yeah. But they're going out there. You're not going to run you know, some race fuel in this thing? Look, I'm not saying that anyone is. I'm just saying that if you wanted to, who's gonna, who's checking? Who's well, going to stop you? Well, but then you also look at manufacturers that come out here and they really want to throw a time down. They're aligning those cars and they're setting them up. Sure. Yeah, they're but within the OEM spec. Yeah. But it's not like this is came off the I not, not picking it up from the dealership and running over there and say, right. hey, Randy, here are the keys. Go yeah. for it. He's like, well, we got we got some work to do. Sure. But even and and just yes, it is easy to, easy to cheat at, but it's still a better benchmark, I think, especially if you go to the early two thousands when it's those magazines running press cars. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like Horst von Salma That's running so awesome. Carrera GTs and yeah. LFAs yeah. just off the rack cars right. yeah. versus the manufacturer's press uh, or prepped car. Right. But like the alternative is if you don't want to do a racetrack, I respect when they run Laguna yeah. or when they run VIR it, because even though there's the, the bank of data is smaller, it's a, it's, I can go to a track day and I can run Laguna. Absolutely relatable. And I can go, well, Randy did a 28 in the Senna and I did a 34 in a GT2 and right. here's, here's what the differential is. Yep. But like Lambo on Pikes Peak and they go, the Urus Performante has set the production SUV record up Pikes Peak. Well, that's, what does that mean? Also, it's like, we're not going to go to Pikes Peak. Right. And we're not going to go run our car up there right. and be like, well, um, there's no traffic right now. Right, so, right, yeah. All right, Donnie, start let's the clock. Let's cannonball this bitch. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. The most egregious one by far is Subaru's Isle of Man car record. Oh, and they go, we've set the four-wheeled record at the... They're literally I think, the only car to ever run. Like, who, yeah, I didn't even know we could drive possible. a four-wheel car it's on this. Possible. It's like, it's like, great, congratulations, Mr. Higgins. You have set a record that no one's ever attempted before. Yeah, or probably won't. Or can do since. Because yeah. you're a title sponsor of the Isle of Man. Right. They're the only people letting you run. Yeah, they, they, between qualifying <laughs> sessions. All right, the road's closed. It's good. Go. Oh man! Yeah, imagine Porsche shows up and just like sneaks a car on. Yeah, <laughs> comes out with the YouTube video it's later. So out of there, and people are just like, "What the fuck are they doing?" Oh my god! <laughs> like, yeah, like when when people started, um, you know, when Alex Roy did his Cannonball record, yeah. and then a bunch of other people started doing Cannonball records. Alex was like, "I know what I'm gonna do." Yeah. I'm going to set a whole bunch of records no one's ever tried. Right. And then just, the, and he's like, I'm going to set the minivan record from Seattle to Key West. Like, yeah. I'm going to set, and he started doing it. He was going cross country. He set the three wheeled vehicle cross country record in a Morgan three wheeler, oh, which, man. by the way, does anything sound worse than 52 hours in a three wheeler? No, um, nothing. You know, the, and he started the EV cannonball and just, you know, stuff like that. So he's just and, having fun. Yeah, well, he but he, he's he's not a manufacturer trying to sell cars. He's just a guy being silly. Yeah, enjoying like, himself. Like, yeah, yeah. I need something to do. This sounds like, and yeah. I really like going cross country. Yeah, making up a game and playing it, I'm I'm totally fine yeah. with. But when it's the benchmark that you're using by which to sell cars, it's a little silly. It's very silly. Yeah, because it's unrelatable. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, no, I agree with you completely. I set a record that you can't possibly attempt. Yeah. So <laughs> you know how many times I've been up and down those? I think I set the record for how many times anybody has been up and down that staircase. Sure. Beat sure. Me. Yeah, try. Yeah. It. Nope. Sorry, I don't like your shoes. You're yeah. Gonna do it. You're never gonna sell another set of new balances. Right. Balances right. Again. Right. Um, so, um, in the last, uh, you know, in the last few months, has there been anything? 
uh, new, incredible, innovative uh, in the world of the Porsche aftermarket that everyone simply must know about? You know, not not tremendously um, it, uh, from this camp. Not really. We we've we've dialed back a little bit on on ch on chasing the next whatever it is next because the market's changed tremendously. And I don't remember if you and I spoke about that a lot, but the nine nine one nine nine two market isn't the nine nine six nine nine seven market that that I cut my teeth in. Mm. You know, it is um, nine nine two. You. If you look at our product offerings for a 992, it's you can count it on one hand. It's like a, an exhaust, but not messing with the cats. Mm. You know, it's a brake setup, it's um, a safety setup, and and a, and some suspension tuning. Mm. But we're leaving anything that has a button on it. We're leaving it right. Yeah. And is it, that because of people are? Uh, uh, I mean, first off, the cars from the factory are so fast. Bingo. That's, are, I mean, that's, 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 are people finally realizing the cars are faster than them? I think, I think <laughs> that harsh truth is, is come true. And now if somebody says, Hey, I've got a bucket of money and I've got a 992 GT3, what, what should I spend it on? I'm like, well, tweak it a little bit, but take that bucket of money and go do track days mm. and get an instructor, you know? And that's to me, go drive it and enjoy it. And, you know, we can tweak it for you a little bit. We're not doing the huge, huge projects anymore um, on these later cars. Sure, we're still doing like a lot of fun stuff in the air-cooled world and the 996-997 world, but back in the 996 turbo world, for 20, 30 grand, you can knock 12 seconds off your Willow Springs time. Yeah. You know, like now yeah. for that yeah. money, you're, you're oh cool, I got another second and a half, right. which you would be, make more time. And I hate to say this, Get an instructor. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, go drive it. Sure. And, and get used to it and hone yourself. Yeah. Um, because the cars are so damn good. So the our market has changed, but we, we, still, um, we still have fun. We're still doing a lot in the engine world. Um, we, we're, we're leaning on technology pretty heavily. We're using uh, generative design and AI mm. to, like, to, to tweak and modify some of our earlier designs exhaust manifolds, intake manifolds. How does AI come into that? AI, AI in a, I mean, I'm, that's just a buzzword, but generative design is a, is a little bit more like a machine learning. AI is not really, but AI helps you get through iterations of a component. So generative design, I don't have anything on me, but um, just to talk about it a little bit, let's say you have a stressed member, let's call it a brake pedal, right? Uh -huh. pick, pick up points here. You have, from here, you have your, your master cylinder. Uh -huh. And so you're compressing it and you got your pedal here. And you wanna make this as strong and light as possible. Okay. So we run it, we, we, we establish the load paths, right? We establish the envelope in which we're doing it. And then generative design will take that and it actually peels the material away virtually until you get something that almost looks organic. It's like this bone looking, mm. very organic shape and then what we use AI for is iterations of that to maximize, okay, well, this load path is a, is a bad thing. So it will go through the thousands that it spits out of iterations of that uh, com component and, and give you, okay, well, this, this rib right here, you should make that one hollow. Right. And then this one should be solid and this, you should have a tiny web right here. And it turns out looking very, very organic. What software is doing that? Uh, we're using everything in Fusion 360. Huh. Interesting. It's an Autodesk company, and, and they're a partner of ours. And then we've also just partnered with um, 3D Systems. Uh, they, we went, last week we were there in Denver touring their facility, and they had one room with 37 3D printers that they also produce, uh, printing just titanium. 
Yeah, you can, you can, for a long time you could 3D print prototype stuff, but then you'd have to make it yep. the finished part the right. old fashioned way. Right. Can you 3D print end use and end use product yeah, yet? Absolutely. You so, um, the, the exhaust manifold and intake manifold on the Huna Pegasus are 3D printed uh -huh. uh, end use products. So, the, the exhaust is Inconel, and we use generative design to to create to uh, minimize pressure drops and create equalization across all cylinders and then when we mo when we monitor it and outfit it with instruments we we like holy well it worked you oh. know so it's early is that, stages is that yeah cost prohibitive for anyone that's not mobile one building a race car not tremendously because we're we're 3d printing the ex the exhaust manifolds on all of our turbo builds mm. for consumers our intake manifolds are 3d printed for all of the air cooled four ones that we're doing um, and that's end use 3D printed alloy. And we're, we're looking at things more from a additive manufacturing rather, and I use manufacturing loosely, so low volume, but so instead of subtractive, you've got to start with a 400 pound brick to make an intake manifold right. or a 200 pound brick. Well, if, if you design it right and do it right and design this thing around the printing envelope and how it nests in, it's not cost prohibitive, but it's, some brain damage because you have to change the way you think about manu or designing and building something yeah. now. How long does it take to 3D print an intake manifold once you hit play? It, it depends on the size, but if you took a table that's, for argument's sake, 15 by 15 by 15, right? Yeah. And that's its print envelope. It's, a, it's about 10 hours to get through that, that Z axis, right. so it's a layer, 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 layer. Right, um, right, right. And it doesn't matter if, you, it, to a point, it doesn't matter if that entire thing has parts built in or just one single part, uh -huh. especially on the four laser machines where they simultaneously can print a layer, layer. Uh, um, I'm gonna get into this stuff more because I'm so excited about this stuff, especially after last week. But um, we're, we're gonna start building some cars where uh, some of the suspension components are printed and yeah. used products. Cool. So, Rigidity up, strength up, weight down. Well, you've got the zingers that are doing that. Right. Um, and I haven't really seen the car perform. I, mean, I know it drives. Um, yeah. I haven't seen... I only saw it at Quail last year, and I was uh, kind of geeking out on how they incorporated the nodes. And it looked like they went a little over just to flex the fact that things yeah. are 3D printed. But yeah, yeah. there's a lot of generative design there. One yeah. of the coolest things I saw was that the the knuckle, the upright, with a caliper incorporated. Oh, yeah. Did you see that yeah. on their display stand? Yeah, yeah. And that's, to me, you, a good utilization case for, for additive manufacturing. Right, because you couldn't make that part otherwise. It'd be tough. Yeah. But you're, you're reducing bolted joints, you're reducing weight, increasing rigidity, and making a homogenous piece. Right. That, to me, is why 3D printers should be there. Not, right. not printing, I mean, I hate to say, but not really printing our intake manifold because you can cut that out of metal. But right. where, but where it's but it's less wasteful, right? It is you, you, tremendously. You yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, we have um, a lot of questions from the Patreon, and because we are uh, limited slightly by battery power of our audio <laughs> recorder, I don't want to die. I want to get through a bunch of these before we um, before we uh, uh, run out of juice here. So uh, thanks to our patrons. If you want to get in on the action, of course, patreon.com slash the smoking tire podcast. Uh, get an ad free uh, experience and ask questions of our guests. Um, okay. Uh, all the pizza in my belly. Good username. I like it. Says, uh, since I'm getting my oil changed, uh, is oil analysis a must for 
stock motors that see lots of track time. How can an average enthusiast interpret the results and what can be done to maximize engine life? Stock motor on track a lot. Do we need to analyze the oil and what can we learn from it? I think it's a good idea if you want to keep the health of that engine. Um, the Blackstone, we always use them. It's just like Nurburgring. There's a huge library of parts per million, of, uh, and they'll tell you if this is outside of the norm, inside of the norm. And a lot of times what they'll tell you is like premature wear somewhere. Or if you have, if you're tracking the car a lot and the car's running really hot, you know, if you're in the high 200s, you know, 250 and above, the way you can help with uh, longevity is after you look at a bank of your analysis, maybe you have to change the oil a little bit sooner, you know, between track days because you're, you're really working that oil a lot more and you're not going to go the traditional 3,000 miles. You're going to go 1,000 or you're changing the viscosities. But mm -hmm. those are the really, without getting in there and changing bearings, it, it is a good way to look to see if you're graphing, in a, if you're trending in a, in a direction and you can, you can actually make changes early on to help level that curve out. And, you know, Blackstone, when they give you a report, they write a little summary in mm -hmm. there that you don't need to be a super engineer right. to interpret. Right. They pretty much tell you what the numbers mean. Yeah. Um, so you don't, you, know, you could always send them to an expert and go, I got this chart, what does it mean? But, but if it, it, it says, you know, there's metal in here and there's not supposed to be, yeah. you know, then that's, it, it is in, written in, in mostly plain English. Yeah, no, and they do a good job of interpreting yeah. all that. Um, Lucas says, do you think a time will come when the ubiquity of Porsche, particularly the 911, in the enthusiast world will result in a backlash against it? Will the sheer number of 911s in existence combine with a decline in combustion car enthusiasm one day drive their values into the toilet? I mean... It's a good question. The, I don't really have the answer to that. I, I don't know. Um, it, it has gotten wild, you know, and I've seen some, just in the time that BBI has been alive, we, we've seen, you could buy an RS America back then for 22 grand and I can't do that anymore, but I don't know when that's gonna cap off. But the enthusiasm for the internal combustion engine I think the person looking for a 911 is going to be enthusiastic about an internal combustion engine. If you're not, don't buy a Porsche or buy a Taycan. Yeah, and I also, you know, I think we talk about collector values of cars a lot. And for a lot of people, a car is some kind of investment. Maybe they're not going to make money, but they don't want to lose money mm -hmm. in this car. I also think the the number, the quote, sheer number of 911s in existence has outsized coverage yes. in the media, right. in, in shows like mine, in places like this. If you go to many small towns and smaller cities, if you go to Minneapolis or Lexington, Kentucky, or, 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 or Detroit, or you know, uh, Reno, whatever, mid-sized American cities, it's not like 911s are like all over the place. Right. You know, you might see one a day. Right. You know, those are still pretty exotic cars in most places. Yeah. So I I don't see a backlash. I mean, what would the what would the backlash be? It's not like people are going to wake up one day and decide these are not good cars. Yeah, they get canceled. Now, there could be Yeah, the 911 <laughs> Sorry, the 911's canceled. Did you know? <laughs> there were Nazis involved? 
That's it. Wait till they find I out. I got to shut my business down. The connection between. <laughs> I told somebody that the other day. They don't and, like that, do they? Oh, man. I, I was like, all right, you're not the type of person I'm allowed to kind of lightly say shit like this to. Sorry. Uh, but anyways, the, the other part of that is is I think maybe some of that question is predicated on the fact that people are paying stupid money over. Right. You. That's that's butter in a hot pan. That, right. that you Whatever you're doing with that, just burn it, right? Yeah, money and, over is different from long-term value. And those same people who pay money over are but Tim, can I get a deal? Like, yeah. You just pay 200 over for your car, Dude. you're gonna bang down the small business? Yeah. Cool. Dude, I got people who haggle me for 50 bucks a month car storage, who buy a car so they could get an allocation for the next car. And I go, bro, I, I do not have the sympathy for you right now. It's you so just bought a hold sympath- car. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you bought a hold car that you're going to lose a lot of money You bought on. a hold car to get the car you oh, want. Like, so you're not going to rake me over the may- coals. Maybe that's kind of where my mind goes to that question. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think people are going to wake up one day and go, oh, my God, what were we doing? These are terrible cars. Right. But I also think that, if you, you know, and, and, and oh, by the way, once a car goes out of production, that could be a 964, that could be a 997, that could be a 992 GT3. Mm-hmm. Once there are a fixed number of them, right. the values are unlikely to go to the toilet. Correct. Correct. Unlikely. It's and, possible, but it's not likely. And let's just touch on the most important part about it. I don't care what you do, a 911 is amazing to drive. Yeah. A Porsche is amazing to drive. So. Yeah. And most 911s won't beat the stock market in an in a, in a investment. No. They might beat inflation if you go right, but they're not going to beat the stock market. They're not going to beat the average. And so if you want an actual investment, a car is a bad one. Yeah. Unless you That's bought a 250 GTO in 1967. Right. Then, then, then you're doing okay. Then you're doing okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, 28.3, never forget. Uh, I hope that's uh, not... A white nationalist thing. What do you want to see in the 992.2? What issues need to be fixed? God. Um, For me, the only thing I'd like to see in a 911 will not be fixed in a 992.2. I think it's too big. I wish it got smaller. It probably won't happen. I wish it got smaller too, but it won't happen. Uh, what I do see in the 992.2, we're going to see hybrids, I believe. In the 911, we will I think. see hybrids. Will we? Yep. Shit. And then the other part is not all of them. You know what else they need it'll to do? It'll probably be a turbo SE hybrid. I, I think they need to work on their clutch in the drive. Driving the clutch in the the touring was a little. Do you stall it? Yeah. I stalled it a few times. Yeah, I did. And then then it was just they 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 nailed it. I think in the the 991.2. Yeah. I think it was great. And yeah. then they went a little too like, hey, now you have a clutch type of thing. Yeah. I don't know what happened. They lightened the flywheel too much. And they didn't compensate. And it doesn't, yeah. 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 So I, I, my hope with the ST, which right. I'm very excited for, because yeah. it has an even lighter flywheel, mm. is that it actually, I actually hope it has some kind of either electric anti-stall or something that will help me not stall the car. I mean, they did that in the Carrera GT. They, yeah. They, I thought that was great. I think they need to reintroduce yeah. that a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sean Finney says, if someone wanted to get into fixing and maintaining or modifying their car, what make or model would you recommend they start with? Hondas or Mustangs? Man, both. Both are great. Uh, both, uh, man, I'm, I'm a Mustang guy, right? So I'd go Mustang, but... Um, the Hondas are such a well-served aftermarket, and mm. they're easy to work on, and there's so much support out there. Um, but Hondas or Mustangs? 
you know, two forties. It doesn't matter really. Just don't do something that's like over two. You know, like like has a big heavy uh, or a small aftermarket. Something right. with a big aftermarket is the way to go. Right. Um, Miguel says uh, we discussed the 911 ST already. We did last show, but you didn't mention its similarities to the 911R. I'm pretty sure I did, although it might have been on Spike's show. To me, it seems like this will be another 911R situation where the limited edition version gets flipped like crazy, but then Porsche notices, notices and undercuts it by making a less exclusive but similar version. Will the 911 ST? I think I think Miguel is neglecting the timing. Yeah. Porsche took away the manual gearbox, yeah. gave it back with the 911R, which was flipped like crazy, right. and then undercut it with the GT3 Touring. Right. In this case, the GT3 Touring already exists. Right, so it's a flip time So, line. So will it get flipped like crazy? Yes, but the undercut car is already here. Yeah. So. Which I think was a better move. For Porsche? Yeah. Yeah, for Porsche, for sure. 911 ST is gonna be awesome, and yes, it'll get flipped. Um, but it will probably be rad to drive, and it will be similar to the 911R. Having said that, my friend who I had lunch with yesterday uh, owns a 911R, and he goes, what do you think? And I go, keep your 911R. Keep I think it. if you've already got an R, yeah. keep, keep that. Right. I've, I've only been able to drive two of them, and I love it. Mm. This is a good car. Mm -hmm. uh, also says, you obviously love cars so much, but it's also what you do for work. Yeah. How did you come to terms with the fact that your hobby became your career? Fuck, that's a great question. Did, did, uh, I, it says, did it ruin the hobby? It, so for a time, it did. That's a great question. Um, there's two things that I've learned and my big takeaways from doing this, doing, you know, chasing my hobby and trying to make money, one of which is uh, there's a quote out there that says, you'll never have to work a day in your life if you do what you love. That's fucking bullshit. That's horseshit. The yeah. hardest yeah. dollar ever earned is one that you're chasing that you're passionate about. Yeah. Because you have a different mindset in it. You're going you're gonna to do whatever you can to make it because you're not chasing the dollar. You're chasing a living or, yeah. or building a career. And, and that, people assume that because you enjoy your job that it's okay for you to not make a lot of money. Let me be honest. I don't enjoy my job. <laughs> I enjoy 10% of my job. That's working yeah. on the cars and everything. What I don't enjoy is HR. Uh, right. Angry customers, blah 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 blah. Right. A wiring issue, a blown engine. There's a lot of those things that like, but that 10% makes it worth it. So, I don't. Know. I, I, I wouldn't change a thing. I mean, it, working on cars and riding BMX bikes and downhill skiing were the only things I was ever good at. So. Right. Like I enjoy probably a little higher percentage. I enjoy 20% of yeah. the job. I enjoy the the driving of the of the new car. Right. And I enjoy sitting down and talking to my friends. And, and this podcast being an excuse to do that. Right. Whereas I'm otherwise so busy, I don't have time to just sit here at a table with you. When have we ever done in a, this? In like, a work day, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and do that. But yeah, the ad sales, the unpaid travel, right. the editing of the videos, like that's- Being away that's, from family. That's real but, work, man. Yeah. That's real work. And so my car hobbies take a back seat. Right. My, my own cars are the last cars I drive. And people find this very hard to believe, but if I'm at work, if I'm, excuse me, if I'm not working, I don't want to go to your car event. No. <laughs> and it's nothing it's against not personal. It, but it's not nothing no. against it. But you know what I want to do? I want to barbecue. I want yeah. to do like real life stuff yeah. that, that involves yeah. cars. But I want to drive my car somewhere with my wife yes. that other than us taking the car there has nothing to do with the car. Car isn't sender anymore. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and just to be clear, I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining. I'm, I'm very, very lucky for what I've been able to do. But but there's more to life than 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 
being singularly focused on one thing. Right. But it's, yeah. Look, I, there are ways to make a living that are miserable from A to B. You know, from the morning you wake up until the morning you get home, your life sucks. Mm-hmm. But you have to do it to pay the bills. Right. And I don't think either of us have that. And so to that end, we are lucky. We're very lucky. But it's there are other different challenges that come from you know, from from centering your whole life around a business that is also your hobby. Right. Uh, Bad Gardener says, I always wondered if hyper-rich people live like the hyper-rich in movies. Do you think any of you guys' rich friends have the phone number of a person to get a militia? Do they own houses inside of mountains, underwater access to bat caves? Do you know any people that are comic book rich? I mean, you probably have a couple customers here and there I, that are comic book rich. I, I do, but the, one who are, the ones who are comic book rich, and this is very against anything, they're, they're the, to me, the most normal. Sometimes, yeah. So, I mean, like, I don't know, I, and I don't, I don't surround myself with too many people outside of like, hey, transactional, this is a, the car thing, let's go to the track or whatever. Yeah. But the people who I have spent time with, I've chose to because they seem like decent people, and they are decent people. Yeah. But there are a lot of whack jobs out there that like... There's whack jobs and everything. Sure. I just don't spend... I, I, I don't know. I don't know anyone who owns a submarine or <laughs> no. a, a a doomsday bunker, as far as I know. I, I know one person with a doomsday bunker. Do you? Yeah. Okay. Um, no, the, the very rich people I know spend their money in pretty ordinary ways. Yeah. Cars, multiple homes, private jets, yeah. maybe yachts. You know, it's just uh, it's just a scaled up, un, unre- unrelatable deal. Like it's unrelatable, but for the most part, not that original. Right. You know, I, it's very rare that I meet someone who's that rich and they've done something with their money where I go, oh wow, yeah. You or know, like, now, oh wow, that's weird. Like yeah. harvesting camel's blood for some like <laughs> yeah. something. You know, like oh, I definitely know somebody with a blood <laughs> okay, boy. I, I know some blood boy fools yeah, for sure. See, that's I think that's where this person was going <laughs> for <laughs> yeah. sure. Uh, let's see. Uh, David Zumat says now that Porsche has built a better slash shorter geared Cayman Boxster PDK, do you think they will use that gearing for future non RS Cayman Boxsters? Not really. Aren't they going all electric for the Boxster? Yeah, there's no more. That's there it. are no more. Ga- there's no more gas Boxsters. That's yeah, it. Yeah, that was like we're done now. Yeah. RS is we're done. Yeah. Uh, Tim A says, "What are your opinions on first generation PDK from 997.2? Can you notice the difference between that and the brand new cars?" Uh, first off, I love those cars. Yeah, I love the the PDK because it comes with the new M91 engine in there. The 997.2, I think, is a great, great car. It's reliable. I mean, the, the gearbox is a little lazy compared to the new stuff, but good car. Um, I think you can tell the difference between those cars and the current cars, mm-hmm. but if you, but it's, it's still, if you go drive one of those cars with PDK, it doesn't feel old. Right. You know, it yeah. still shifts fast enough and direct enough, and it, it, it's aged much, much, much better than what everyone else was doing in 2007. 100%. But yeah. I did see one thing that Zach just did. I forgot what car he's driving, but he's like, look at the delay. Click. Amira. Okay. The new Amira. So they do have a little bit of a delay. Not like that. Yeah. Compared to the new cars, I think they sharpened up the time from right. shift to that. Yeah. But outside of that, you... It's They're a, still really smooth really, and really, really good. good. Yeah. 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 Um, 
Michael says, any cars besides Porsches you want to work on if a benefactor was willing to bankroll it? There's an Ultima GTR in the shop right now. There's an Ultima GTR. There's an Aston Martin. Oh, yeah. There's a McLaren over there. Yeah, don't, I don't want to ever do McLarens again. Uh, there, you yeah, worked but on the Radford? Yeah, I worked on the Radford. You know, I'm, I'm always intrigued, but it's never in line with business. I always lose money when I venture outside of this. Hmm. Uh, Pop, uh, Papa Gray says... I'm looking at 991.2 GT3 manuals. I currently own a Carrera T manual with all the driver's focus specs, modification to brakes, and a 500 horsepower tune. Bet that's fun. It's a rad car. Is it worth the investment to go from that to a GT3? Would cost 50 to 75 grand. As a street car, no. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it as a street car. The, but T, if, the T modified like that might be a better street car. It's one of my favorite cars to be as a street car. Yeah. Uh, but the GT3, nothing's, I still, there's nothing cooler than a 9,000 RPM NA engine. However, it's what are you going to use it for? And you got to look at like that scale. Are we 10% track, 90% street, if you're real with yourself? Uh, the T is the way to, the way, yeah. way to go. Uh, great mate, mate says, do you think GT Porsches will ever become attainable to a non-repeat customer at a dealership? Are there any secrets that can help someone buy a GT car for a sticker? I missed the boat, and now I'm stuck searching for used cars. I mean, you can find a dealer group that sells a bunch of different cars and mm -hmm. buy other cars from them. Like, like for instance, I, I work with Galpin a lot. Yeah. And I've bought Ford, I've bought Volvo, Mm -hmm. You know, I've bought a, a couple different, uh, I bought three Fords and a Volvo yeah. from them. And if I wanted a Porsche, I could probably get one because it's the same dealer group. Right. Um, other than that, I, I mean, I think that's the only way. Yeah, you got to have a relationship. If, especially if you're talking like a new car or spec in something, it's, yeah. that's tough. You have yeah. to have a relationship. Relationships cost money in that world. It's, it's, it sucks, but. I mean, or you eat the dick once, yeah. pay the over, and now you have the relationship. Yeah. You know, that's the way to do it. But these cars, they are, they know how many people want, and they're smart enough to build one less than that. Yes, I know. And then, and they're also, yeah, and then they, they just, they kind of get that hook in you early. Yeah. And that's it. And also, you know, Porsche did that thing with the 918. Remember, mm -hmm. when, if you bought a 918 yeah. new, yeah. you got allocations for 10 years. Right. That was the deal. Yeah. And enough people did it that and and they hoovered up all of those cars. Yeah. They took every allocation they could get. And then even once that program ended, they were hooked on allocation heroin. Right. The number of Man, emails so I get from people. So true. I mean, I'm sure you hear from these people too. Mm. I got allocated this car at sticker. Mm -hmm. I don't even think I want it, but if I don't take it, I won't get the next allocation. Oh yeah, you're out. It's, yeah. it's like, it's heroin. It's, it's, your, your, it's the heroin of being in the club, but there's a financial incentive to it because the demand is so high that you could take it. And if you don't like it, you can get 20, 30 grand more yeah. today. Right. It's crazy. You don't even have to, ha the car doesn't even have to la land. You could sell your allocation. Right. It, I think that's a little broken, but it's part of the gig, dude. It's Sometimes, a shitty system. Yeah, it is. But, but like... It's the flip side of the same economy where for years we beat dealers up mm -hmm. over prices and made them take money off the fucking table. Right. Now they're like, it's our turn. You, used, you could negotiate a Cayenne or a Panamera oh, yeah. down 10, 15, 20K. My yeah. dad's 2017 Cayenne Turbo yeah. 
Someone ordered it. It was an ugly spec, black over chocolate with burl wood and the tech art, uh, the sport design yeah. kit. It was heinous. Yeah. And he got 25K off to take that fucking thing off the lot. When I bought my Cayenne diesel, it was the same way. Yeah. I, I went in there. It was actually the same thing, kind of like you. It was a Mercedes group, and I saw it there, and they wanted a big number for it. And I said, I'm a buyer at this. Oh, this thing ain't going to be here for another week. Well, two weeks later, I'm like, <laughs> it's still there. I'm still like, there, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, but not anymore. It's just, it's unfortunate that they, you know, that there, there aren't enough cars for everybody who wants one to get one at sticker and dealerships are using that to their advantage. And that's the system we have. And it's a shitty system, but it is what it is. True. Um, Nat Compo wants to get more power out of my 78 911 SC. What would be the best route to maintain a level of reliability? Want to keep it NA? Good. I mean, good question. I, I have an SC is also that I absolutely love. Um, it depends on where you want to go, but I, if you can minimize what you do on the top end of that with that, that injection, I, w I would do SSIs or a set of headers, an, an exhaust that you can tolerate. Uh, that typically wakes these things up. And then um, throw a set of cams at it. Yeah. That's really it. Some, some Carrera cams, and that's it. Yeah. You know, anything more than that, you're, you're taking the injection off and you're putting carbs on it. Or, you know, the rabbit hole goes deep, but that's very surface level. You can... Air-cooled horsepower is so expensive. Is, it, so is there expensive. anything more? <laughs> well, I think we've done this math. Yeah. I think it is the most expensive horsepower that money can buy. Gosh. Because to go from a, a, a modified Carrera 3.2, which yeah. makes 300 crank, right. to a Gamroth, yeah. you know, it, it's like $150,000 <laughs> to get to get because, to because what you're left with is a block. Yeah. You're left with the engine case. I mean, now you're doing bespoke casted heads and blah, blah, blah. It's like blah, 1500 blah. bucks a horsepower. I, I think it is. Something like crazy <laughs> like that. so crazy. Yeah. Uh, this is a great question. Kurt May says, after driving the Spider RS, do you still feel like you could have written the review without driving it? Before I went to Germany, I said I could probably write this review without driving it. Oh, good question. Yeah. And so it's a good question to call me out and follow up on that. So if I was, there were some things I didn't know about the Spider RS that I was told when I got there. For instance, the spring rate is 50% softer than GT4 RS. Mm -hmm. The air box is not in the, quote, in the cabin, right. it's underneath where the top goes. So if someone who was there had said, the spring rates are softer and the air box isn't in the cabin anymore, I could have probably written the remainder of the view, review with nobody noticing the difference. Based on the fact that you driven a GT4 Based GT4RS. on how much, I, I have 2,000 miles and two track days in a GT4 RS. Yeah. And so if you said softer for the street and the, no drone, the drone thing was gone at the low RPM drone, yeah. I could have written the rest of the review and nobody would have known the difference. Now, I'm still glad I went to Germany to experience it because yeah. I also got to have a two-hour proper go in a 959, know, which, is, which is an experience worth having. Um, and I think that um, uh, um, I also think that the top is easier to deal with than original videos made it look like. I'll admit, I just saw another video of somebody doing the top. I think it was on one of the deals and I was like man that looks like a pain in the ass it is a pain in the ass but it's not significantly more of a pain in the ass than my spider's top got it okay. my spider's top I can do up and down in about a minute right this is about a minute and 30 it's not in the real world it's not massively different 
the, pr- the process is more annoying, yeah. but it's not as bad as like a Lambo Mercy where you're threading the rods through the cloth. Yeah, like, and you're like setting up a tent. Yeah, yeah. it's not that bad. It is bad, it's, it's definitely annoying if you go the full weatherproofing. So it's a two-piece top. Got it. There's the bimini, right. which, which is, is open air in the back, yeah. and then there's the weatherproofing piece that goes that, in there. That you have to put in the, the thing. The bimini is about a minute and 30. The weatherproofing piece is about another minute. So to I, wash I get, the car, you gotta put the weatherproofing piece in. Right. If you're just driving it and it starts raining, the bimini top part is okay. You Got know it. this dude? I don't know. These. It looks like they're selling Bibles yeah, over here. I think they are selling Bibles. Um, okay, hang on. David Hawk says, uh, let's see. Do you want to hint at any upcoming projects? Uh, we're starting to work on some pretty neat air-cooled projects. Mm. Um, we're gonna we're gonna be at Rensport with Mobile One, kind of launching a project we're doing. We'll talk about that more later. Um, we're gonna, we're probably gonna go to Pikes Peak next year with an air-cooled car, mm. which will be fun. Mm. Um, and you know what I really wanna do? I keep talking to Kong about this, but I wanna revive King Kong. I wanna, oh, I, sitting I, over there. Yeah, I, I, wanna, I wanna have one, one whack at it. Do you like, own that car? No, him and I have partnered in it. Oh, okay. It's technically his car, but we've partnered in it and it's just been, been here forever, so. Um, okay, uh, Chris Ono says, I saw Gunther Works is doing an E30, which I figured was a matter of time. Is right. there a market for a resto modded E9, meaning a CSI or CSL? Um, First off, I am excited for the Gunther Works E30. God, I think if so anybody cool. can do can do that right, it'll be them. I, I would have thought, like just like timing, like the R and the Touring, I would have thought that that would have been not Porsche yet, but the yeah. BMW world yet. Sure, yeah. that that is is that the Ultima? What is I don't that? Know what that is. Sounds like fucking hot cams. Yeah, running so, over there. sounds Some big. V8. Um, uh, see, the thing about E9s are a couple of things. One is they're gorgeous. Yep. But they also made them for a pretty narrow window of time. Right. And they are insanely expensive to buy and to service and to repair. I had a client at the shop who did a mild restoration on one and the bill I saw for little things was horrifying, even by Porsche, Ferrari, and Lamborghini standards. Um, I think that people who are willing to spend money on that level, the Singer Gunther level, yeah. I think they're a little more nostalgic for 80s than 70s. Yeah, I agree. So the, the I think they'd probably do a better job with an M6 right, right. from a Shark Nose M6 yeah. than they would a, a CSI or right, CSI. Right, right, right. I'm it, very excited for the, uh, for the E30 M3 Gunther. That'll be cool. Yeah, I'm really excited for, um, I'm really excited for the Russell mod. Mm. I like it. Uh, let's see, two more, and hopefully the battery lasts. I think it will. David says, you did a lot of work, meaning Batim did a lot of work on my old Fox body. If I had given you full creative control over the build, what would you have done with it given the same budget? Fucking same car, that car was perfect. Oh, I love that car. Does he still own it? <laughs> no, it just sold. Oh, it just sold on Bring a Trailer for 36 or 37,000 That car was so much fun to drive. Yeah, it was cool. I wouldn't have changed the thing. Different motor. I mean, unlimited budget, he says. Oh, unlimited budget. Full creative control. Oh, with the same budget. Never mind. No. With the same budget. I think it was great. Choices were correct. You'd need another twenty-five to 30000 You need a Voodoo engine and a Tremec gearbox. There you and go. And then it was good to go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, last question. 
Levi says, when building a car, especially a rear-engine car like a 911 or Beetle, how do you determine the stagger of the tire? Do you determine it by weight distribution? I'm at 2,000 pounds and 4060 weight distribution. How much tire can fit? Yeah. Like, what are you going to do with it? Yeah. You know, really, like, 911s, it's all, to me, I would... I always try to put as much front tire under them as possible mm -hmm. because with chassis setup, you can you can really, really get the the car to be. I mean, you look at an RSR; it's like it's a 13-inch wide rear wheel and a 12 and a half front. You know, it's yeah. It's, the it, 911 race cars do more at the front yep. than they do at the rear. Right, and you the street cars with when you set the cars up the way you want them to, that they, they, you, you're going to do the same thing. Naturally, you're going to do that. But yeah, it's a good. I mean, depends on what you're going to use a car for. Um, Bigger isn't always better. No, I mean, especially if you're driving on the highway, like, you know, when I drove Gunther's first car, mm -hmm. their red car, mm -hmm. they had 305s at the front mm -hmm. and 345s in the back. Right. And the car tramlined like crazy. Yeah. It was so darty on the highway, it was actually really tough to drive. Now, yeah. now it, it was insane on the track. Of course. Where the tarmac is perfect and it, that doesn't matter. But I sort of, I said to, to the guys, like, hey, you know, this isn't fun, actually. Yeah, I mean, and that's a fundamental issue of the front geometry of a 993 and right. 964. They ended up going with a 285 front, which found a happy medium right. where it wasn't so darty, and they still got the lap times they wanted out of the car. Exactly. That's why yeah. bigger isn't always better. If you right. look at, like, the DLS, the Singer, it's got a 245 on the front and a 295 on the rear. Mm. It's not all the tire in the world, even though you have yeah. that opportunity. It's it's what works with the geometry of the suspension, scrub radius, and tram lining is a big thing. Yeah. Because then you got to think about that percentage. Am I on track 90% of the time or 10%? In a Beetle, I think tram lining is probably less of an issue because yeah. the widest tire you could probably fit is a 245 in the front, maybe. If maybe, yeah. maybe not even. Yeah, I'd, I'd just... You know. 2,000 pound car, I'd just put small tires on it and slide the thing everywhere and have fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... In general, it's it's weight distribution first, and then intended use second. Correct. Right. Yeah. And and I think most street cars, if you're moving towards a track focus, you usually want to add more front before you want to add more rear. Correct. Usually. Yeah. Because uh, a lot of street cars are set up to understeer. Mustangs. Mm -hmm. Mustangs are set up with a factory stagger to make them relaxed on the highway. Anyone who does performance driving in a Mustang, the very first thing they do is square stance. Square setup. It's yep. a like very first. on all four corners. Even or even is. pseudo factory setups like the Shelby mm -hmm. or the RTR, mm -hmm. the first thing they do is square stance. Right. And it doesn't really take that much away from how they drive on the road. But right. It adds a ton to how they handle. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing my. Uh, we got people now. Business is happening. Yeah, people, no, people are engines. Up. People are showing up. All right. We'll let you get back to work. Yeah. My man, thank you very much. Always good. Uh, I am off uh, to Pebble Beach next week. I'll so see you there. Uh, by the time you hear this, uh, I will be at the Quail. This is next week's next week's show. I'll see you up there. Mm -hmm. Thank you, patrons, for all of your questions. We appreciate it. And uh, of course, bbiautosport.com, bbiautosport on Instagram. If you're in Southern California and you've got a Porsche and want to make it go stop or turn better, this is where you go. And uh, I will see you guys next time. Bye.